It is time for our scripture reading this morning. If you want to follow along in uh, your copy of the Word of God, or else uh, we will have it on the board as well from Galatians chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 7. And again, this is, a, uh, this is a relatively short passage, so let's read this together aloud from the board. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, once again, we come to you this morning, having sung the wonderful truths of our faith and implanting them deep in our hearts. And now as we come to this time where we remove our distractions, we remove our uh, plans and ideas, Lord, and we instead put ourselves in a place of submission to hear from your word. Lord, these wonderful people who are here this morning have not come to hear me. I have nothing to offer them. But Lord, they've come to hear from you. And what an awesome responsibility that is. And so, Father, I pray that you will help me, move me aside so that your people will not hear Randy Scott, but they will hear the word of the Lord explained and applied in a way that they will leave here today a higher view of God and more determined to rely upon your grace. Father, I pray this morning as we have said so many are going through trials, Lord, just the just being stuck at home and, and not being able to get out, not being able to see families and, and all of this, Lord, just what a toll that is taking in our community. What a toll it's taking on our church, just looking around and, and seeing that a good, a good portion of our loved ones, our covenant family is, is not here. Lord, I pray that you will guide us and lead us. Lord, help us to be a lighthouse that people will see that there are real answers in your word. That Lord, there is real help in the spirit. And even in the most trying of circumstances, you are available and you are ready to be with us. You long to be with us. The scriptures say you incline your ear to be with us. You celebrate. There's, there's a party in heaven for every sinner that comes home. Father, may that be our joy as well. May you work in our hearts. But in order to do that, Lord, we've got to be clear on the gospel. We've got to know what it is. We cannot infuse it with human wisdom. So as we look at this text today, give us clarity. and Give us hope. As in your name we pray, amen. Amen. As we have already read, let's turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, once again. Book of Galatians, chapter 5. And we are 
uh, beginning the third major division of Galatians. And of course, with all the other divisions, there were sections that, you know, he kind of, he kind of starts on a topic and, uh, and he, and he camps out there for a little while. And, and then he kind of moves on to a different topic. And, and the very first topic he deals with in, in the practical living of our faith is that, um, we need to have discernment because if you think about it, if you are, uh, trying to live the Christian life, trusting in promises that God has not actually given you, or if you are trusting in influences that are leading you down a, a, a bad path, then that is going to stunt your Christian growth. Um, you know, I've been, I've been introducing a lot of songs lately. I, I know that. And the reason why is because I, I, most of the very popular Christian music, music that is being used at camps, music that is being used in churches this morning, um, are, are written by people who, quite frankly, are heretics. And, um, and I don't know if you know this, but every time we put words on the board, you'll see a little license number. And the company, that's called a CCLI license, and uh, when we use that music, they keep track of it and they send money to the, to the authors and to the artists who write those songs. Now, now that is good and proper. Uh, a workman is worthy of his wages. But, uh, but quite frankly, I don't want to send a dime to Bethel Church. I don't want to send a dime to Elevation Church. I don't want to send a dime to these churches that are leading people astray and I want to show you that there's good music out there. You're not going to hear it on the radio, but there's good music out there. And quite frankly, we don't need pagans to write our Christian music. We don't need pagans to write our worship music. I mean, it's good music. That's why it's popular. But I just, I just don't want to have any part in that. So I want, I want to show you guys there's another way. That it's not one way or the other. And so, uh, and quite frankly, I love you guys too much to, to expose you to the influence of Bethel Church, uh, to Jesus culture and, and these other groups that are so far away. So that's a soapbox. Let me get back to my sermon notes now. So uh, we need to um, be discerning and, and not only discerning. Last week, we talked about discerning false teaching, discerning false doctrine. And, um, you know, and, and everything that we are talking about is that only the gospel can not only pronounce us righteous, we saw that from chapter two through chapter four, but only the gospel can actually produce righteousness. And that is key to the argument of this book because the legalists, the Judaizers, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make the people holy. And, and Paul is saying, no, look, it is only the gospel that not only pronounces you holy, that not only pronounces you righteous, but actually produces it in your life. Legalism is a cheap substitute for godliness. It is a cheap substitute. It is externalism. It is skin deep. You, it's like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but on the inside, it's nothing but dead men's bones. And so that's what Paul is warning us against. And I want you to notice that in spite of his warning, in verse 10, what we see here is that Paul is actually confident in the, uh, in the Galatian church. He says here, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. I want to camp there just for a second because Paul is persuaded 
that God will keep the Galatians. Paul is persuaded that that it is God who is preserving us. It is God who is keeping us secure. It is God who is saving us and will save us and ultimately uh, will bring full redemption to us at his second coming. It is God who is keeping us saved. And Paul is confident in that. He is confident that the Galatians are not going to adopt this false heretical view. And again, he's confident in that. Why? I mean, after all, they had turned so quickly, like we saw, like, like Israel, whenever, I mean, literally while Moses was getting the commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, they were literally making a golden calf at the bottom of the mountain. I mean, you talk about quick turning, that's it. So, so why is Paul so confident here? Because look what he says. I have confidence in you in the Lord. His confidence is not in the Galatians. His hope is not in the Galatians. His hope is in the Lord in the fullness of his salvation, in, in, the, in the integrity of his salvation, in the power of his gospel, that's where his confidence is. Paul's confidence wasn't primarily in them. It was in Jesus Christ. That's what he says in Philippians chapter one, verse six. In, a, in another way, he says that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. If God starts it, he finishes it. I mean, really the logic is sound. If we start our salvation, then it's up to us to finish it, right? But if God started it, then he finishes it. And that's what our confidence is in. So if Paul's so confident then, then why write the book of Galatians? I mean, after all, couldn't God just zap them or, or do whatever? Well, beloved, Here's the thing, this amazing truth, perseverance of the saints is the, is the name of it. You may refer to it as eternal security or once saved, always saved, but whatever it is. This amazing truth removes our fears, but it does not remove our responsibility. It may remove our fears and praise God it does, but it does not remove our responsibilities. We still must be diligent in discerning the truth. 1 John 4, 1 says that you must test the spirits who come into the church because not every spirit is from God. That is our responsibility. Paul, knowing that he is writing God's word, knows as they think about what he is saying that God will take his words and he will use it to do his work in the life of the Galatians. The word will be impactful. The word will do its work on the heart of Christians and they will be the better for it. And so we must practice in the church loving discernment. We must practice loving discernment. And again, I, I, I'm not gonna say much about it, but I do wanna emphasize loving. We're not witch hunters. We're not heresy hunters. You know, we don't go out looking for problems in people's lives. I mean, fact of the matter is, uh, you know, what I just said about Bethel a second ago, fact of the matter is, if you put my life under a microscope, guess what? You'd find some stuff that are against God. You would, because I'm a sinner. And guess what? Same thing would happen to you. And so we don't go out looking for it. We're not heresy hunters. We're not heaven's bouncers. But on the other hand, when it does come, we need to recognize it. We need to recognize it. And false doctrine never comes in a vacuum. It always comes through influence. 
And those in leadership and those in teaching will have much influence in the church. And so we need to be discerning, practice loving discerning about those who we allow to influence us. And the reason is, is because there's five dangers that we see here, five. And you're thinking, oh, five, wow, that's a lot. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on any one of them. So uh, we'll still be out of here normal time today, okay? But uh, we are looking at five dangers that we see. Number one, beginning in verse seven, I want you to see the first danger that is prevalent here is that they cause compromise. They cause compromise. Look what he says. You were running well. Galatians, you were running well. You were doing so good. You were trusting in grace alone, through faith alone. But then something happened. Who hindered you? And, 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 and notice here that he's specifically saying who hindered you. We're talking about those who came into the church and started to influence the Galatians the other way. Paul often uses sports analogies. Races were very popular, like a football team. You know, we've all seen our favorite football team that they do great in the first half and then the second half, they just kind of give up, right? Just kind of give up. Well, that's kind of the idea that Paul's given here. He's like, you were running well. Who hindered you? Who stopped you? Then boom, it falls apart. It's like getting tripped up on a race. They were running so well, they were in first place and then someone came along beside them and tripped them. Do you see that Seinfeld episode where uh, Kramer was holding his coffee and one of the marathon runners was running by and he thought it was water and he grabbed it and tried to drink it and, and it caused all kinds of problems? Well, uh, it's kind of like that, you know? He, he caused him to trip up. He gave him the coffee instead of the water. They were following the gospel, not their own accomplishments. They were running well, but then something happened. Who did it to you? Who's done this? The question's ironic for a couple of reasons. Number one, Paul knew who they were. This is not really a question to find out information. He's trying to get the Galatians to recognize it on their own. It's like, listen, you, you need to recognize this problem. But what's also ironic is that because the legalistic concern that the teachers had was for obedience, and Paul is showing them here that, listen, they stress obedience to the law out of a concern for obedience, and yet insisting on their outward obedience, Paul's saying they're actually hindering you from obeying God's word. Why is that? The word obeying is actually really interesting here. It's it's not the normal word. It's actually persuasion. It's, it's an obedience that comes from an inner persuasion. It's not the normal term. And when it's used this way, it's speaking of an obedience that is rooted in the persuasion of truth. We do this because it is true. We are, we are deeply persuaded by this. We are deeply rooted in this. In other words, it is obedience from the heart. And the Judaizers, yes, they were concerned about obedience, but they were only concerned about outward conformity. That's all they wanted. That's all they cared about. And by insisting that they were being, that they be, that they be circumcised, they were actually hindering true obedience, heart deep obedience. That's the irony of legalism, is that they stress obedience so much, and yet in doing so, they're actually getting you to disobey the word. 
Because you're not obeying it from the heart as God demands. You're obeying it from an outward conformity, which is hypocrisy, which is exactly what is happening here. So they cause compromise. It's like when you're driving around in a Batesville neighborhood and you, and you get on a street and without any warning whatsoever, all of a sudden there's one of those orange cones there, uh, orange sides, you know, people working and you have to get real creative all of a sudden and make a detour. You know, sometimes it's really hard to get around this town. Have you noticed that? You know, especially in the neighborhoods, you know, I don't know what they have against their streets, but my goodness, it's just like that. Legalism trips us up. They cause us to detour. But there's a second dangerous effect, and that is this. They are corrupt. They are corrupt. Look at verse eight. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. That word persuasion is actually the same root from the word obeying earlier. And the message that these guys are bringing us is not from the one who calls us. Now, the question we have to ask immediately is, who is the one who calls us? Well, if you recall at the very beginning in Galatians chapter one, when we were there months ago, in verse six, it says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Who is it that calls us? It is God. Why does he call us out of his grace? How does he call us through the gospel? That is, that is Galatians 1, 6. And these legalistic messages, these moralistic pep talks, all of these things, they are not from God. They are, at best, inspiring messages, to be sure. But they're not from God. I, I love uh, this American uh, gospel documentary that I'm wanting to show and trying to find a good time to show it. Um, but I love what it says. It says, you know, when we preach moralism, moralism is preaching the morals of the Bible and that's all you preach. You never, it's never in the context of the gospel. And he says, we don't intend it, but that's not just a sub-Christian message. That's actually an anti-Christian message. It's actually an anti-Christian message because, because it's not from the gospel. It's not, it, when we exclude the gospel and simply preach the morals of the Bible, we make people look really good. The hell's full of really good people. We've got to be about the gospel. When they preach or teach anything other than the grace of Jesus Christ for full salvation, that message is not from God. It is corrupt. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20, when I told my mentor, I told my pastor that I was thinking about being called, I thought I was called into the ministry and I was thinking about preaching, uh, he burned this passage into my memory. It said, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Good thing for Bethel, they don't do it like they used to. From the very beginning, God is giving us the definition of his word and warning us to test the source of what we hear. First Timothy chapter four, verse one. What is the source of this? Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves, watch this, to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Who is it that wants us to rely on ourselves? It's Satan. Satan wants you to rely on yourself. 
Satan wants you to believe in yourself. Satan wants you to think that you can do this on your own. He is roaming around seeking whom he may devour. He disguises himself as an angel of light. These teachers will claim to be from God. They claim to represent God. Boy, they look good. They even seemingly can pull off some pretty amazing things, but they are corrupt. It doesn't matter what they can do. The question is, what are they saying? And their influences. We must be careful who we allow to influence us. And, and you know, Paul's concerned about teachers here, but it's not just teachers. It could be maybe someone with a poor attitude in the church, or maybe someone who's using the church for their own purposes, or and maybe someone who's lost sight of God's ordained mission of the church, that his mission for the church is the worship of God and the proclamation of the word. That's his mission. And it could be someone that, that is taking us off course, that's putting us on a detour. We need to be careful who we allow to influence us because listen, guys, they're gonna look good. They're gonna look really good. When Jesus told the disciples that I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be, I'm going to be tortured, I'm gonna to be killed, I'm gonna to, to be crucified. And Peter says, oh Lord, may that never be. Stop talking like this, Jesus. You're, you're, it's not good for morale. Don't you know that the disciples need good self-esteem? You're not giving them good self-esteem. This is not a message that's gonna lift them up. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. It sounds good, it looks good, but its source is corrupt. We need to be careful. We gotta be careful. So they're corrupt, but they're also corrosive. Look at verse nine. They're also corrosive. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Little leaven, believe it or not, there's a debate where Paul got this statement. Um, you know, was it a, common proverb, what is not. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but it's pretty common sense, don't you think? I mean, we all know what yeast does. Yeast, you put it in bread, what's it going to do? Anyone has ever baked bread, you get it. All it takes is a little pinch of yeast. You put it in your bread and, and leave it overnight. What's going to happen? The whole dough is going to rise, right? The leaven's going to spread. It's just common sense. And so... So that's what he's talking about, that all it takes is a little pinch and, and it spreads like gangrene. It spreads like, like well, like yeast. You know? um, I don't think we have to debate where, Jesus, where uh, Paul got this because it goes back to Jesus himself. Look at, uh, look, at, look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter eight, verse 15. He's on a boat with his disciples and he tells them, he cautions them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Of course, the disciples thought, you know, he's just mad at us because we <laughs> forgot the bread. No, that's not what he's saying. What is the leaven of the Pharisees? The leaven of the Pharisees, that hypocritical, externally focused, doctrinally self-righteous legalism that is, that is rooted in self-assertion and, and self-pride and all of these things. What's the, root, what's the leaven of Herod? Well, if you know anything about the family of Herod, you know what? They were hedonistic, right? And that's a big fancy word for basically saying uh, we live for the pleasure. You know, YOLO, you, lo you only live once, Right? 
And so uh, you live for the pleasure. It's, it's hedonistic. It's, it's uh, just vile, perverted, uh, no inhibitions whatsoever. He did whatever he wanted, open rebellious sin. And Jesus is saying, look, beware of both the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. You remember that Christ was crucified between two thieves and there are two thieves of the gospel. You have self-righteousness on one hand and you have self-assertion on the other hand. You have, you have legalism and you have license. You have, um, what, what do we say? We have, we, we have uh, presumption and we have perversion and Christ is crucified there in the middle. We, we, we guard against the leaven of Herod, yes, but we also guard against the leaven of, of the Pharisees. Interestingly, Paul uses the same statement to discuss both of them he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, warning a church that is refusing to discipline a member who is in open sin. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, look, if you as a church, if you tolerate known sin, if you do not discipline, if you tolerate known sin, it will spread throughout the entire church. You've got to nip it in the bud. You've got it lovingly, but you've got to, but you've got to deal with it. Otherwise, it will spread. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians, dealing with Herodian leaven. But here in this text, he's speaking of Pharisaical leaven. He's talking about the warning of the, of the corrosive nature of false doctrine, that if legalism is tolerated, their influence will spread and it will corrode the entire church. False doctrine just simply does not stay still. It spreads and it has a corrosive effect Every doctrine is vitally connected to the others and you start denying one, it's only a matter of time before you threaten them all. And of course, we live out of what we believe. So what's gonna happen? As we, as we change our beliefs, we're also gonna change our behaviors, aren't we? We're gonna look more and more and more like the world. How many churches today? How many denominations how many schools that started out as strong Christian schools, bastions of evangelicalism, Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth. How many schools stand for things today that are diametrically opposed to God? They have apostatized. It didn't start there. It started with just a little pinch of leaven. And that little pinch of leaven spread through the whole lump. In this battle with L.A. County, MacArthur was asked, do you really think this is a hill to die on? I mean, after all, I mean, what hill should we die on? And Dr. MacArthur said, that's easy. We die on the first one. Because if you give up the first one, it won't be long before you give up the second one. Give up the second one, it won't be long before you give up the third one. Give up the third one. No, you die on the first hill or you lose all the hills. Beloved, we need to be willing to die on the first hill. Not on things that are honestly debatable in the Christian faith, but when it comes to the gospel, we've got to be absolutely clear. Absolutely clear. So they're corrosive. Number three, they are condemned. They're condemned. Look at verse 10. We've already looked at Paul's confidence that, that those who are truly saved will not in the, in the finality, will not in the final and will never fully apostatize from the faith. He gives that confidence. 
But he's also confident in something else at the end of verse 10. He says, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. The one who is disturbing you, this is a, it's a general warning to all of those who lead the church to stray from the gospel. And, and there are some aspects to notice here. It is individual and it is general. Paul is not just speaking to a particular person in the Galatian church. He is a warning to all of those who lead the church of God, whether through lay leadership or through vocational leadership, pastors, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, worship leaders, whatever it is. He is saying, look, this is a warning that if you lead the church astray from the gospel, you will bear your judgment. It is serious. Warning to all those who stir up disturbance and trouble by turning a church away from the gospel or from gospel focus. This is absolutely serious. In fact, it's so serious. Look what he says in verse 12. Probably one of the most surprising things in the entire Bible. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really sure how to preach this <laughs> because it is, um, it's pretty direct. I'm just gonna warn you, it's direct. He says here in verse 12, he says, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate yourselves. Whoa. No more Christian nice guy. Paul never heard that uh, you need to be polite to false teachers. He never got that memo. He says, I wish that those who are, who are troubling you would, would um, the, the word literally means to emasculate, to mutilate yourselves. Castration, that's what he's talking about. <laughs> it's amazing to read how many commentaries who said that Paul should not have wrote this. It's like, um, then you have a problem with inspiration, my friend. <laughs> he's like, this is just so rude. This is unfriendly. Well, Paul's not out to make friends. Paul's out to make disciples. There's a difference. So look what he says here. This is serious. But, but I do think, on the other hand, that he does have a certain practice in mind. And what, what it is, there, there was a cult, uh, the, and I can't pronounce this, Cybele cult, Cybele cult. Uh, we'll just say a cult. And, uh, but, the, uh, but this cult was thriving in northern Galatia. No doubt the church was familiar. And every year, this festival, whenever new priests were initiated, um, what would happen is, is they committed, when they committed to be priests, they would go through this ceremony where basically they would make themselves eunuchs. They would do it to themselves. I could give you details, but it's actually pretty gross. Essentially, what Paul's saying here is like, look, if you are trusting as circ in circumcision for your salvation, then you might as well go the rest of the way. You might as well do it all. You might as well become eunuchs. Paul's warning that they will face the judgment of God. They will face his condemnation. In fact, we've already seen this in Galatians 1. Go back to uh, verses one and nine. I won't read the whole verse, but he says, if anyone brings a gospel to you, if I, Paul, or if an angel of God, even, I wish Joseph Smith got that memo, but uh, if, if even an angel of God comes to you and gives you a gospel other than the one I preach, he is to be anathema. And again, cursed of God. English translations tend to be very polite. It literally means to go to hell. 
to go to hell. Anyone who brings you another gospel, they are to be anathema. This is their judgment. Matthew chapter 18, verse six, Jesus himself says, whoever causes one of these little children to, to, to stumble in the gospel, it would be better for him if he would tie a millstone around his neck and be thrown into the sea. That would be better than what he's gonna get from God in judgment. If you're seeking salvation by a mixture of grace and works, you might as well become a pagan because it's gonna do you just as much good. If you learn self-righteousness from these influences, you will end up being no different from the culture. And those who lead people in that way, they're gonna face their judgment. They're gonna face their judgment. I shudder to think what some of these teachers on television and on the radio, I shudder to think it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so why would anyone do this? Why would we follow these teachers? They're, they cause compromise, they're, They cause corrosion, corruption. They're condemned. Why would we follow them? Why would anyone do this? Why would we follow a doctrine that is so clearly condemned in the scriptures? Why would anyone get into this? I think we see that in verse 11. Because they're cowards. Because they're cowards. I don't mean that, that to sound so strong. I was trying to think of another word that started with C and that's the only one I could come up with. So they're afraid. They're fearful. They're cowards. Paul gives a little common sense here. It says in verse 11, brethren, if I'm still preaching circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? I mean, if, I'm, if all I brought you was just another sect of Judaism... And why am I still being persecuted for it? There were all kinds of sects of Judaism. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Essenes, you had, you had so many, and, and you had others that we probably don't even know about, and you had different levels within those levels. Christianity, I mean, if, if Christianity was just another sect of Judaism, then why in the world was Paul so persecuted everywhere he went? Paul was ran out of just about every city he went to. When he went into a city, uh, beloved, and, I, and again, I love how, I love how uh, MacArthur said this on TV, uh, that when Paul went into a city, he wasn't looking to see how comfortable the local hotels was. He was looking to see how comfortable the jail was because that's probably where he was going to end up. He, I, mean, I mean, he was ran out of every city. He was beaten. He was persecuted. He was maligned. He was harassed. He was a victim of false witnesses, innuendo, lies against him. Why would all that be happening to him if what he was teaching was just another subset of Judaism? Another subset of law obedience? You know, life would have been just a whole lot easier if he would have compromised just a little bit, right? I mean, can't you imagine some of Paul's companions? I mean, it'd be like, Paul, come on, man. I mean, chill out just a little bit. You know, if, if you would just soften your message just a little bit, if you, would just, if you would just get on board just a little bit, if you would just get on the right side of history just a little bit, 
then, then wouldn't life just go so much easier for us? Think of Jeremiah. How many years he ministered, not one single convert that we know of. You think he was tempted to compromise his message? I'm sure he was. He was human. You think at times he was tempted to give in? We know he was. He said, I'm just not going to speak anymore. But his, fire, but his word was a fire within my bones. I could not help but to give the word. Why do we compromise? Why do churches compromise the gospel? Because we're afraid of the consequences if we don't. We're fearful. We're afraid of the hardship that comes if we don't compromise the gospel. Losing friendships, losing respect, losing big givers in the church, losing long-term members, family, even losing our freedom, even our livelihood, maybe our very lives. But the apostles did not, praise God, the apostles did not compromise. The prophets did not compromise. And the true church will not compromise. You know, legalism is so easy. It's, you know, follow these rules, do this, do that, and you'll have the blessing in favor of God. It's so much easier than having to search our hearts to see the things that are within us, to look at ourselves in the true mirror of the law and see that I am helpless without grace. I am so lost without the grace of Jesus Christ. It may cost you everything, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Love, if you're here today, maybe you've been afraid to make that step. You've, you're, you're so clinging to I'm a good person and you're so afraid that if you come to the gospel, you will lose the sin that you love. You might lose the friends that you have. You might lose all of those things. Beloved, you're looking at someone that when I came to the gospel in the summer of ninth grade, I lost every friend I had. I had to start over. It was worth it. It was worth it. And you know what? Some of those friends, a couple years later, came back and wanted to know what happened and how can they have it. It's worth it. Don't be afraid to lose because those who lose their life will find it in Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you've been under the influence of false influences. You've been under the influence of false teachers feeding you lies of self-righteousness. Come to Jesus today. Renew your commitment to Christ today. Father, we thank you for these truths. I know I've not done them justice. There's so much deeper. There's so much more that we could have said. But Father, I pray what was said has not only glorified you, but I pray it has edified your people. And I pray that there are those here today that perhaps there's someone who has recognized that they have been living under the lie of self-pride and righteousness. Maybe today is the day that you draw them to yourself. Maybe they've been listening to the wrong ones. 
Maybe they've been under the wrong teaching. Lord, whatever it is, we pray this morning that you would do your work in the hearts of your people. Do what I could never do. Do, I can never do it as a preacher. Lord, I can never do it in my own life. The Christian life is not easy. It's not difficult either. It's impossible apart from your grace. And I pray, Father, that your grace will be evident this morning in the lives of your people and in the response to your word. And we pray all of this to your glory, to our edification, and to the reaching of our culture for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to all of these ends that we pray. Amen. Let's sing this song together. Let's stand together.